following is a production of Shark Flight Media. Shark Flight Media. Shark Flight Media. Now entering the nexus of geekery and guy world in three, two, one. Mark. Hello, IT. Have you tried turning it off and on again? What's better than this? Guys being dudes. This is the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. Hey, kids, welcome back to another exciting edition of the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. I'm your host, Ian J. Malone, going to be joined by my co-host, Kevin Steverson, Rob Howe, here in just a few moments. Also got a fantastic guest interview on tap for you tonight, talking all things books and sci-fi, the usual spiel. Before we do that, though, let's pay some bills. Got to give a quick shout-out to our presenting sponsor. That would, of course, be Chris Kennedy Publishing. Doesn't matter what you're into, folks. If it's military, sci-fi, space opera, fantasy, urban fantasy, craft, paranormal romance, (sighs) They got it all. Chris Kennedy Publishing. Go check them out online. They are chriskennedypublishing.com. Message-free sci-fi with a shot of rock and roll. Well, shot of rock and roll. Don't I wish. Shot of fantasy, because that's what they do. Fellas, please come in here and save me. Rob and Kevin, how are we doing, man? Well, I, I just want to say that the fantasy uh, side of thing is rocking and rolling right Hell now. Oh, with the segue. There we go. Rob Howe, man. Brother, you are coming along on your radio chops. <laughs> I am so very proud of you. I'm like a proud papa at this moment. You have learned well, young one. I say we just thanks, I say uh, we add thanks, rock and roll uh, to it. Thanks, Obi-Wan. Hell yeah, man. So what's up, Kevin? I say we add rock and roll to the whole thing. Come on. Oh, yeah, man. Well, there's, some, there's rock and roll in this show. There ain't, there ain't no doubt about that. A little bit of rock and roll, a little bit of country. I'm pretty sure that's been used somewhere somewhere down the line. I've heard that, but we make it a hell of a lot cooler on this show. And so, uh, uh, another spoiler alert on this line, there's some rock and roll coming out in the Salvage Tower universe. I'm indeed, just saying. Indeed. Well, I mean, good Lord, that's the universe that brought you the book about the guy named Van Hagar. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. <laughs> so all right well we got ourselves a great interview on the hook tonight this is a guy that uh people around chris kennedy publishing the 4hu sci-fi in general know this guy very well for those of us who do the con scene and the podcasting scene uh there's not only a a great writer but a good colleague and a good friend and uh with that we welcome in the one the only the hillbilly himself mr william joseph roberts how are you doing tonight my friend all right now i'm kind of paranoid because you're like who's watching me man (laughs) <laughs> who, who, who's got their eyeballs on me is it good eyeballs is it bad eyeball if the man's watching we got to keep an eye out on him <laughs> so how's life treating you this evening man it has been a while since i've had a chance to chat with you what have you been up to um actually i've been stuck in van's head working on this new existential crisis thing that he's going through and he's just stared off into the abyss of the universe and all is well with rock and roll in the background <laughs> and it oh man i i i, I was sitting there grilling last night and you know had me a couple drinks just sitting there chilling i got the earbuds in i got it cranked up as loud as i can get it to drown out everything and i'm going through rush and bowie and and um uh, I, I can't even tell you how many other songs. Uh, Elton John, you know, Rocket Man, and yeah, man. I ended up landing back at Stairway to Heaven, and oh, that God, was that was that was the spot that just started speaking to me. And it's like, okay, this this is what I need for my scene. So I, you know, I'm working on my playlist for this new story because, um, yeah, Kevin, I kind of got to get a story done to this week to you because um, I'm behind. <laughs> I, might, I might owe you one too, so I don't know how that's gonna. Yeah, I was. I, I, oh wait, you do owe me one, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I owe Rob one too. So I, you know, it's 
Hey, wait a minute. Chop, chop, man. Where's my story at? <laughs> hey, look, I, I just I just sent off the entire anthology for the first anthology off to Chris Kennedy that I finished going over everybody else's stories. So it's, yeah. <laughs> so I can be a day late and I'd be all right. Hillbilly, yeah, I'd be yeah. I'd be remiss, man. If you're a Zeppelin fan, please tell me you've checked out Greta Van Fleet. Well, yeah. Dude, dude okay. I got my Greta Van Fleet shirt on right now. All right. Oh, the first God, time nice. I heard these dudes on the radio. I'm I'm cruising on. I think I was coming home from work and just like, well, what the hell? Zeppelin's back. What's going on? I pulled off the side of the road because, you know, the the radio was like, and that was Greta Van Fleet. Who? Who the hell is that? I pulled off the side of the road in the battlefield and started looking it up like, no, (laughs) that that was Zeppelin. (laughs) Dude, so, so nice. And listen, I love the classics as much as anybody. We talk about that stuff ad nauseum on this show because we're all, you know, just around the same age. I I love it. I mean, I listen to Led Zeppelin all day long. From time to time, though, really kind of nice to have something new to check out. Regardless of what oh, yeah. genre you're into, it's nice to have something fresh on occasion. And it just seems like it's been forever since we've had a rock band come out. Not a you know metal light band that's kind of been eased up just enough to be commercially friendly for radio. Not a or hip-hop a grungy rock pop band, band. Or a grungy yeah. pop band. Or, you know, Breaking Benjamin the 12th you know whatever the case may be an old school grab your freaking drunk classic yeah. rock band love it and i i fell in love with him right then i mean i we bought the album got shirts like yes oh yeah oh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the last band to do that and it's not necessarily the classic rock but just a good band was daughtry you okay. know in the last 10 years or so you know yeah north carolina boy so, yeah, yeah, yeah that, daughtry, that one, I, mean, I like the sound so yeah yep 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 so yeah. righty Rob, what you got for us, man? You're on chair for this interview. I know you got some questions lined up for Hillbilly here. So uh, what what say you, man? I'm going to turn the mic over to you because I'll burn his ear off all night long talking about music. <laughs> so will I. But I'll go off on this weird, you know, folk metal stuff like Corpaclani and Tear and Who. And, oh, no, no. We're, we're fine doing that, too. I mean, you want to get in some Wardrana and, and Heidi Volk. Oh, God, man. Okay, I, my, my genre range is across... With the exception of hardcore gangster rap, ICP to the side because I listen to ICP just because it's screwed up, and and <laughs> cut, you know old school twangy country western. There's only so much David Allen Coe that I can take. I mean, I listen to everything though. Oh, the, the good stuff, Black Prairie, and some of those bands, some of that, yeah, like All right. folk stuff. So I think the place to start, since we're talking rock and roll is rocking and rolling at Mach 2 or 3. And I don't know that you ever got a chance to do that, but you made it happen. Uh, I'm sure you had a bunch of scraped knuckles and sweated buckets on flight lines, and I suspect there might have been a few words we probably shouldn't say uttered when parts didn't go in right. But uh, you were in the Air Force as an F-15 mechanic, is that correct? Yep. Uh, Ten years of turning wrenches on F-15s. Tell us about that. Um, Any fun stories? <laughs> um, what can I tell? Um, <laughs> you know, that, that, that was one of those things. I, I started out with a list when I was really young. And, and crew and aircraft, you know, just being an aircraft mechanic was one of those. Like fit five years old, going into kindergarten, I wanted to be an aircraft mechanic. Don't know why. Just I've always been mechanically inclined, always tinkered with things. And, um, you know, I, I'd have went in a lot sooner. Like, like I was set up to go in right after high school 
and you know the day after graduation but my mama is oh they're gonna get you shipped off and killed I'm like oh, okay so i stayed around you know worked in the mining um um, hydraulics mining supply place, uh, doing doing backshop work for hydraulic systems, and I got to go into coal mines a, a couple times. And um, yeah, being that's safe. being in a four foot seam, knee deep in water, and you see the sh- the the brake line shifting above your head, and you're a mile and a half underground. It's like, yeah, no, I, I'm going to go ahead and I got all signed up, ready to go. My uncle blabbed about a week and a half before I left, and so my mom found out. I don't care anymore. I'm I'm gone. That, that's one thing with Southern West Virginia. At, at that particular time, you had either coal mines or the military. Those were basically your choices, unless you wanted some penny any job working at McDonald's or something like that. Because there really wasn't a lot of work going on. Um, F fifteen sound a heck of a lot more fun than coal mines. Oh God, yes. And you know, I almost ended up on A tens, and I could have went either way. I've always loved the F fifteen. Uh, the the F four Phantom was my first love, um, but they'd already phased her out by the time that I got in there. Um, probably, I don't know. What, one of the most interesting tales that I've told before, um, probably when I was at Kadena. Um, and okay, I know Kevin's military. Are you military, Ian? I don't think he, either Ian or I are, have, were in the military. Okay. Um, well, every so often we'd go in there and we'd be doing um, war war games, you know, exercises and stuff like that. And you'd have to dress up in chem gear and all that junk and simulated attacks. And, and uh, at Kadena, we had the, the main row of, of uh, flow-throughs for the aircraft to park under. And then down about a quarter mile down the ramp – we had all these hardened shelters left over from uh, Vietnam era. Um, and that was simulated base X usually. Uh, base X being, you know, we were probably Korea is what we were figuring. Um, so me and my buddy Don, we're, we're the last dudes on the flight line. We're stuck up there on the hard broke line. Everybody else has already deployed to base X. We're stuck at home base, fixing everything that, w- that couldn't fly out. And it's like, Two, three in the morning. He's up in the cockpit. We're just finishing up an engine run because we, we'd swapped engines out on this thing and, and got up and run. I had a weapons troop out there doing a fire guard for us because uh, you had to have somebody on fire guard with somebody on the ground. And um, we're, we're just about done. Leak checks are done. Button and panels up. And he goes to shut it down. And on those old F-100 engines at that time, you had to run up the throttle about 80% and then chop it. So you could run the oil up into the top of the gearbox and it settled back down. Um, so he goes to run it up. And about that time, I saw somebody walking up in the exhaust. Like, chop it, chop it, chop it. That's a, he, he shuts it off and I'm already pissed. Because it's like 3 in the morning. We've been busting our hump for 12, 13 hours already. And I just ain't got the patience to deal with somebody coming up in there and being stupid. I get back here. And behind us was a, uh, uh, a nose dock, and there the big floodlights were shining down in my, my eyes, and so I couldn't really see them. I could just see the silhouette. I, I get up there. I'm already cussing and swearing. I'm throwing my headset off and get up to this dude. He's standing there in civvies on the fly line inside the restricted area where you're supposed to have a line badge and all this and that. 
One of the hangars nearby had Marines in it. They had a tendency to kind of wander over after they got drunk at the hangar every now and then. They they uh, had Harriers and stuff over there uh, at Kadena that flew out of there. And um, I, I just looked at him. I was like, get on the ground now. This is on the ground now or I hurt you. And dude was on the ground crying, um, trying to get his name out of him, where he's from, asking him if he was from the Marines over there, and he's blubbering by this point. And my buddy Don, he's already climbed out of the cockpit. And like, Don't kill him, Billy, you know. And um, hey, I, I sent him back to go get the comm cord, disconnect from the aircraft, and I hogtied this kid, wrists and ankles, face down. Took his wallet out, checked his ID. He happened to be a cop. <laughs> okay he was he was an air force sp because you know it's got his unit on his id okay how long have you been on island two weeks sir and I, mind you i'm a i'm an e4 at this time <laughs> nobody okay, ever says sir to you <laughs> my my buddy don he outranked me just from time and service and all that but it was my fly line at that point I mean, yeah, there was me and him running the show out there. But, you know, it was just like, okay, well, kid's been on the island two weeks. I'm sitting there looking around, and that's about the time I caught a glimpse of motion, about three, four flow-throughs down. A couple of heads popping out like three stooges around a corner. Like, <laughs> this is an intruder exercise, isn't it? Yes, sir. Okay. And I just start marching my way on down the road. And these three pop out, and they're clapping, and they're, that is the quickest takedown. We Shut the F up. Shut it now. I don't give it. I mean, I'm going off on these dudes. Well, there was a captain. There was a senior master sergeant and a lieutenant. And as soon as I started into them, they started the, the snake pit, man. And it's just like I was in boot, and all three of them started, you can't you will get off my fly line right now. Every one of you. And I explained to him, you guys sending this kid out here who has had zero training on any of the safety areas on this aircraft, who almost walked into the jet wash of an aircraft, which was at 80% would have been getting sent home to his mother in a box for Christmas. Finally got him off my fly line. Chief come out, got a hold of me. You know, next day I'm I'm getting or next morning I'm talking talking to the chief because he come out there and like, hey Billy, you can't be doing this. What are you doing? You know, I get talked to by the commander and all that, and I explained everything. And so I don't deal with stupid well. There's a reason I didn't get promoted quick. But none of this surprises me, by the way. By by the end of all this, and you know we're still doing base exercises. Now we've been doing, oh God, at this point we were already doing base exercises like every other week, and then in between we were we were doing squadron exercises to prep for the base exercises because we got this Yahoo base commander that come out of Korea that wanted to make things um, make a big name for himself and turn Kadena around. I mean, it got to the point that you know the Phantom Shitter reappeared and. You know, the, uh, the pressure washers, they miraculously stopped working because, you know, alcohol in the fuel tank does wonders. I mean, that, it just stupid stuff. And we were doing this for like six months, man. So nerves were already frayed at that point. But 
when all was said and done with this this particular scenario, um, the three of them actually came and apologized to me. They came out, apologized. Nice. They had instituted a training program for their new troops coming on island. Because seriously, th- there's a thousand ways to die on one of those aircraft. And him sure. walking into a full power exhaust is going to send him hurtling across flight line. <laughs> you know, it's just like, no. Um, oh, yeah, I've, I've I, just, I've never dealt with stupid well. But you get to say you got to chew out a cap and then get away with it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've manually removed a colonel from the seat before, too. Well, that's, uh, that's par for course for somebody in the E4 Mafia. I mean, if you was... If there was well, no, see, thing, I was, I was a staff was at that point. Thing. I was a staff right. at that point, though, but, you know, I mean, this dude, he was a desk jockey. He was out there to get his monthly flat pay, you know, get his, his research, and he was running late. Full bird, okay? He gets up there, all right, kid, come on, chief, let's go, let's go, let's go, and we're getting things ready on the ground, and and he did not wait for me to signal. See, on the ground, in that spot, the crew chief on that spot is God. They are in charge of everything going on. Pilot has zero say. Well, he went ahead and started the secondary power, which sends the hair off at the top of my B-man's head, who happened to be walking underneath, coming over to the fire extinguisher to get ready for the launch. And it's like, no, he ain't doing this. Shut it down. <laughs> and, um, yeah, um, I had... I had everybody piled up around. I mean, I had the prod super. I had the, the chief, the captain, the LT, uh, the expediter, my flight chief. It, just like everyone was like, Hillbilly, what's going on? And just like, you need to get off Hillbilly's spot before he kills you. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a good transition. You've got a lot of stories. So it's a good transition to how'd you get into writing? Oh, I've, I've, I've been into writing for as long as I can remember. I've always been jotting down stories and thinking up ideas and creating little worlds and things like that for it, you know since I was little. So, um, how would you then encourage other writers to get into it? I mean, if it's always been easy for you, not necessarily. Well, easy, no, no, it wasn't of- necessarily easy. Now, now, see, growing up in Southern West Virginia, little information is limited. Um, going to my literature and my English teachers and stuff like that, trying to figure out how to go about growing and learning more about the craft and things like that. Because, you know, I had I, I was writing short stories in junior high and high school, but I had no idea what to do with them, where you could send them or anything like that. Um, sure, that makes sense. We really didn't do much on magazines. I mean, comic books, but uh, most magazines were like Vogue and crap like that. So I never saw, you know, Soldier of Fortune or anything until I was out on my own. Um, so the selections were real minimal. You know, you, you had the, the the globe and crap like that, you know, the, that junk. Um, really, uh, you know, I, I started working on my first novel right about 2001. Um yeah, about 2001, I, I, I started just cranking through, writing a full novel, creating characters, all this and that. And, you know, life gets in the way and stuff. But um, really, it came down to LibertyCon. LibertyCon is where I learned the craft of writing, the business of writing, the networking, 
all of that. Yeah, that and was a place for me too. That a huge influence it, on my career as well. With the number of people that I met, the networking connections, the amount of information that was available. I mean, I walked out of there with contact info for NASA scientists, archaeologists, things like that. Um, it, it was the springboard. I mean, right there was insane amount of information, and it took me a while to comprehend everything and you know absorb it. The one thing that I keep going back to um, was at that LibertyCon, I did a writing workshop with Charity Ayers. And, you know, she she went through all this spiel and everything and then had us sit down and write for 15 minutes just doing a writing sprint. And then she had us read it out loud and all that. And I kind of scared everybody in the room because, as you guys know, I've got a big loud mouth and I don't need a microphone on a panel. Um, we do know that. So, <laughs> little panel that that class it doesn't matter who told me that my writing was good i still think my writing is crap but you know whether it was my wife my friends anyone else you know random strangers reading it's like this is really yeah you get that paranoid like you're just giving me mom answers because you want to appease me that that's not the real answer you don't really like it do you and you know you get in your own head and you start screwing with your own squirrels but just the 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 whole situation sitting there reading this the story out loud she's liking it the other people are liking it and i keep coming back to that one moment and it's like she gave me permission for whatever reason i needed a perfect stranger's permission to write and understand that i can do this and it's been gangbuster since i walked out of there taking that story that that i had started that little scene and i put it into the um my, my story, When Vulcans Cry, which was in the um, Shaddaa Toys anthology, I, I walked out of that convention with an, an offer to join an anthology, which was awesome. You know, yeah, and, that's, that's brilliant. What more can you ask for? Right. And, you know, the year after, it's just like more and more. It, it's now to the point I have a list and I, I'm like, I got I got to get this. I mean, I got to get Kevin one by next weekend. You know, I got another one due to Bill Webb, another story to do to Bill Webb next month. And then uh, I got to get Tony the story for the LibertyCon uh, antho in September. And it's just like there's so much to do now. I don't know where to start some days. Wait, wait um, till I start hitting you up for stuff from my super secret project. Oh, wait. Ooh, ooh. Hey, hey, baby. <laughs> wait, what, what you What's got? <laughs> okay, so, well, um, <laughs> I got honeymead we can trade. <laughs> Ron, baby. Well, now. <laughs> so let's talk about Flux Runners. Was Flux Runners your first novel that you published? Yes. Um, Flux Runners is a sci-fi space opera comedy. I had to get that out of my system before I could write something more serious. Um, there, there is a lot of just stupid adult humor, crude humor. I mean, there, there's this one scene where Rachel, um, the pilot, she's beating the science officer over the head. And it's just, they, they've got this sibling rivalry thing. You, you know, they're, they're, stupid fruit flies. Um, they, they've got this whole sibling rivalry thing going on where they're arguing back and forth all the time. But, you know, I, I kind of modeled the crew on the crew of Firefly, of Serenity, because nice. the family, the bonding. And, you know, Kevin understands Family isn't always blood. I know that, you know, military, we all have that whole other level of family. Uh, con family is another whole other family. 
And so, you know, the, these guys might argue and fight and everything else, but they they'll take on anybody that messes with one of theirs. So um, that leads me perfectly to, to the next thing I wanted to mention. Uh, you did me a great honor by giving me the opportunity to sort of be the lead author for one of the Corner Scribbler's micro story anthologies. And, you know, Corner Scribblers, you should tell us about this group and about uh, all the things that they do. Because it seems like you got a bit of a family there, too. Yeah. Um, uh, the Corner Scribblers is the new reincarnation of my old writing group. See, when I, I first got to this area, I found out about the um, Chattanooga Writers Guild. Um, I learned the hard way that literary and pulp do not mix the greatest when it comes to writing groups and things like that. And I started my own writing group. I did sci-fi, fantasy, horror, doing all the pulp stuff. Well, life, babies, cancer, all that kind of stuff got in the way. Uh, and at the same time, I was doing a podcast back then, too. Uh, the podcast stopped. The writing group stopped. The writing stopped. I got to a, a point almost that, well, if the wife hadn't taken all my stuff, all my notebooks and everything, I was going to burn it when I got home that night. And I'm glad she did. I'm glad she headed away from me. Um, well, you know, that brings up just quick say quick thing writers need to be aware that sometimes there are reasons why writing is difficult as opposed to excuses and we have to give ourselves permission you talked about permission earlier we have to give ourselves permission to let reasons things like moving things like kids things like cancer these yeah. sorts of things are reasons why we can't we aren't necessarily as productive as we are at given time they're not excuses we want to avoid excuses but that sounds like reason. Still, it's a yeah. hard, it's a hard thing to balance. Sometimes I, I was doing 60, 70 hour work weeks at that point too. So you know, it was just it was chaos. Um, and, and you have to, as a writer, you have to sort of be aware that, that that stuff influences you. And and I think this, sorry to segue here, but from a publisher's perspective, I want my my people, and I suspect you probably feel the same as a publisher yourself. Um, I want my people to work as hard as they can without ruining their souls. Yes. And oh God, I want, absolutely. I want I want them to, if they move, to take breaks. If they if they have kids, the kids come first, and you know family uh, that that's sick that comes first. Yeah. We can adjust publishing schedules. You can't you can't fix. I can't do anything about the real life things. Well, anyway, if, sorry. If I, well, if I could throw something in on that, it shows in the writing. After a while, I mean, listen, you know, we'll, we'll use Stephen King for an example. Now, you can go back and look at some of his early stuff and tell when he was whacked out of his gourd on whatever substance of choice it was that day, <laughs> and it's strikingly different than the stuff he wrote when he was not. So yeah. you know, I mean, life, emotion, stuff, stress. I mean, that that plays a role in the product that actually comes out on the page. You know, I'm a big believer in that your time is finite. You don't get more than 24 hours in a day. And you wear a lot of hats if you're a dad, if you're a writer, if you're like the, most of mm -hmm. us, you have a day job. You know, I mean, some sometimes those different facets of your life require more time than others. And you've got to be able to balance the equation. And sometimes the writing's got to pay a little bit of a price for that, sadly. Yep. But it is what Absolutely. it is for human beings, man. Now, now in 19, we were I was at a uh, local little authors convention that they had over here in Ringgold called Next Chapter Con. And uh, a lot of my old writing group happened to show up there. And more than a few of them, they were like, hey, when are we starting up the writing group again? We should do this again. And I, I sit there and I really thought about it. I, like, I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to being just a stupid little critique group that's doing nothing. We mark on the same thing every month. 
and nobody's ever progressing because nobody wants to? It's like, no. And the more I thought about it, it's like, you know, okay, I, I, I like to give back. I do. That's one reason I volunteer for LibertyCon. Yeah, I want to give back. I totally see you working there all the time now. Um, oh, God, you have no idea. Why we, oh, God, that was brutal for virtual. But we did it. Um, I decided to go ahead and put the group back together. But it was going to be a writer support group, not a critique group. And we took it one step further as we started talking and, you know, we're meeting monthly. We're, okay, who needs help with what? What are you working on? Okay, have you tried this and that? You know, we're tossing out all these ideas from all these different directions. And so we started to produce product. It started out as a little 500-word flash fiction collections. And we upped it to 1,000 because, oh, my God, 500 words is insanely hard to do. 1,000 is um, tough enough. 1,000 <laughs> is tough enough. But, you know, it's, an, it's a good exercise once a quarter. And we, we've been changing the themes. And the one that Rob was on was uh, Dragons and Dribbles. It was a fantasy-themed collection. Um, I did one of my Draven stories, um, Den of the Drake. Yep. Yeah. Um, which the audio isn't work on that right now. Um, one of the corner awesome. scribblers is a narrator. Awesome. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, when the stories come in, we all take turns and go through and do our bleed on it. So everybody's seeing everybody else's marks and we're seeing how others are catching things. And I'm just by doing this, I've been learning more because I'm not catching that and that and that. Well, okay. Now I'm actively looking for that stuff because this is stuff that I've seen. Um, so we're all growing. I mean, we had one guy, Oh my God, his stuff was, I wanted to scratch my eyes up and he's actually with the exception of some little tweaks gotten to where he's writing good prose. I mean, it's not, Excellent. It's not excellent stuff, but it's leaps and bounds from where he started. So the group in itself has done its job. Well, I, I have to say that that experience of writing an Oath of the Edge for you was a neat challenge and forced me to think about every word. Because uh -huh. even at a thousand words, to get a cohesive narrative really is tough. No, but you know, we're, we're helping each other grow as a group. We get together, we help each other with research and things like that. We're bouncing ideas off of each other. Um, and on top of it, the little flash fiction collections that we're producing, it's padding our author accounts. It makes it look pretty. It, and that's always nice. So that's, that's probably helping you a ton with uh, Three Ravens Publishing, which is your publishing house that uh, you've been doing really well from what I've seen. So talk to me about that. Um, okay, so Three Ravens Publishing started in... 2019, uh, like March of 2019, I did nothing with it for the whole year because I had to finish Flux Runners. Flux Runners was the first title published uh, through Three Ravens. Last year, we published 30, 32 titles. Yeah, 32. You're on the Chris Kennedy ca career arc. Well, now this is counting, you know, the, the Corner Scribbler stuff, and I did a couple of repubs and, and some short stories, you know, things like that. And it's I mean, all it been, all it all counts. It, it's, it's learning curve. I'm learning with every title and, you know, I, I'm striving for solid uniformity between everyone, the, the books. So they all look the same. And, and the whole main point of it was it's a place for me to publish my stuff. But I pulled in RJ Layden and Benjamin Tyler Smith. They're the other two Ravens. 
And, you know, it, like I said, that it's a platform for us to publish our stuff, our labors of love, the ones that we don't really want to turn loose because indie publishing is something beyond what it used to be. I mean, you don't Absolutely. have to go with a traditional publishing house anymore. Um, I, I actually think that these publishing houses like yours, and like Chris Kennedy Publishing, the, the sort of um, independence, but not quite like sort of bridging that gap between the traditional publisher and the main indie writer level, I think is, is probably the best hybrid I've seen, which is obviously one of the reasons why I joined on to be the publisher of new mythology press. Cause mm-hmm. like you, I saw an opportunity for us to, to improve everybody's quality, including especially my own. Yeah. And you know, Dear God, the the submissions keep coming in. <laughs> um, I know the feeling. And you know, right now I'm I'm getting ready for a big shift to where I'm going to just start cranking out words of my own for a while because I've been doing the publishing thing with Starflight and um, that that one was a big undertaking. Um, Tell us about Starflight. Okay, for anybody that, that doesn't know what Starflight is in general, um, it was a open sandbox space opera video game in the 80s. Uh, came out in 86. It was the first game of its kind where you could just play through the entire world and never actually do the storyline. And I played way too many freaking hours of that game growing up. Last October, I just sitting there, you know, I found out that, that it was on GOG for like two bucks for Starflight 1 and Starflight 2. I got it. I started playing it, and I just started thinking, like, why hasn't anyone ever wrote in this universe? And I'd heard that there was some fan fiction on some forums back in the day, and I went looking for it, and I couldn't find anything. So I just started poking around, and then I tracked down the creator of the story, uh, Greg Johnson, and then I found the IP holder, Rod McConnell. Um, And I asked if I could write in the universe. Rod said yes. Greg was excited about it. So I struck up a contract. Rod signed off on it. And next thing you know, I'm writing in a video game IP that I asked a question. So never, ever, ever be scared to ask a question to anybody. I asked Rob uh, Robert Silverberg if I could republish his story um, through the time lens, which was originally published in the Sega Genesis version game manual. And he said yes. The only stipulation was um, he didn't do any um, um, brain work thing. Editing uh, changes? No. Publicity? Publicity. There we go. That's the word. Stupid brain squirrels. <laughs> um, he, you know, he, he wanted me to remove the whole publicity part out of it where he didn't have to do any of it. And he wanted to copy the book for his show. I was like, absolutely. Yes, sir. So I got That's Robert Silverberg because I asked the question. Yeah. yeah, I've gotten a number of authors to write for me uh, already that I was like, well, what the hell? Because the least well, yeah. that happens is that Kevin J. Anderson turns me down. Yeah, what are they going to do, say no? Down. Okay. Wait, well, I, w- I was actually talking to Kevin J. Anderson um, about joining in the Starflight Anthology. And because of the deadline, and he was in the middle of trying to finish the next Dune book, he had to turn it down because he didn't have time to learn the universe. And it's like, dude, that that's totally understandable. You know, it's, it's all good, but you know, I, I'm, I'm chatting with you on email, so that's okay. And I get to brag to my buddies about it. So it's worth it. If nothing else, <laughs> you know, I, I have some of those 
crushed by greatness stories myself. All right, so uh, we're getting we're winding up, and I, I want to get to the heart and soul of you as a person, which I have to say really is encapsulated by the single fact that your favorite TV show from the 1970s was BJ and the Bear. Tell us about <laughs> BJ and the Bear, man. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's one of those, man, I loved it for the monkey and then the trucks, you know. It's just, it, that that's a whole other time frame. And, you know, I've, I've went back and I've watched some of it and, oh, dear God, don't ever do that. You know, keep those fond childhood memories where they're at. Dude, man, sidebar, whenever I was in college, my buddy Dre and I were sitting in my apartment one day and, you know, wax nostalgic about old old stuff. And like, dude, you remember G.I. Joe the movie? That was awesome. Like, there was blood, and they killed Duke. Spoiler alert. And, yeah, yeah, it was awesome, dude. Man, I haven't seen that in years. So we run to the Blockbuster to see if they had it. They didn't have it. So we end up running to the brand-new store down on Appalachian Parkway called Best Buy that everybody was still, you know, gaga about, and they had it. So we got it, brought it back to the house, plugged it in 90 minutes later. That sucked. (laughs) That was awful. What were we ever thinking? Can we get our money back? Yep. I, I feel you. Sometimes it's just nice to, to not go back down the road. You can't go home again. All those happy cliches. Uh, although I will say, you know, I thought that would be the case when I watched A-Team was on one of the TV channels, like uh, one of the streaming services. I said, well, Roku channel, I'll... it's free. So is Magnum. Yeah. Magnum, A-Team, Quantum Leap, and I think Airwolf's on there. And Oh, God. <laughs> I think Knight Rider's on there, too. Yeah, man. Yeah, Roku I... channel's awesome. I was surprised how well uh, A-Team held up. I mean, obviously, it was campy at the time, but it's, you know, going in expecting campy, fun. Uh, you know, the interaction between those characters was always the main thing for me. It hey, Murdoch, best yeah. character ever. All the way. <laughs> He's up there. He's up there. All right, well, um, so William, I, I want to thank you for joining us, despite all the hassles that we've had because of weather and Ian is in some storms today, so that's messed with us. Uh, but, uh, looks like we're persevered all the way to the end. Now's your chance to tell us about everything you got going and where we can find you and where we can find it all and uh, pump your stuff, maybe. All right, so uh, start with 3RavensPublishing.com. Um, we've got, the let's see, the latest titles we got out. We have a comedic satire, sci-fi, timey-wimey, um, called Zoomers by John Drake. If you like Douglas Adams or Doctor Who, you're going to love that. Um, the latest epic fantasy out is The Raven and the Crow, Dark Storm Rising. It's in the same vein as the Belgariad, uh, Will of Time. Um, it, it, you get sucked straight into it. I had such a hard time editing that thing. Uh, then, of course, Starflight Tales from the Starport Lounge, based in the Starflight universe, created by Greg Johnson. Um, we've got 17 stories, including one by Robert Silverberg that you are going to absolutely love. If you're into sci-fi, space opera, or the retro game scene, check it out. And then uh, Taking the Night by J.F. Posthumous is coming up at the 6th of the, yeah, 6th of August will be our next title out, and a new JTF coming out shortly thereafter on that. Now, for my stuff, if you look over at WilliamJosephRoberts.com, and by the way, Mine and Three Ravens, it's on pretty much every social media platform, including TikTok at this point. I'm currently trying to finish out this whole slew of short stories that I got piled up so that I can get to the next novel, which is going to be a Mill sci-fi title 
if the squirrels are still screaming at me at that time. For whatever reason, I don't usually like mill sci-fi, but it I had an idea pop in my head, and it's just screaming at me. I, I don't want to give anything away on that one because I haven't figured it all out yet. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you got a lot going on that one. Um, yeah, I mean, I got, I got Flex Runners 2, I've got uh, an Urban Fantasy I'm going to write, I've got to finish Dogs of War for Kennedy, which is a parallel to Wildcat, and then i got to get to Wildcat 2, um, and then at some point me and Woods have to write Smuggler's Quest, which is a follow-on to Smuggler's Run. Um, God, that one's so horrible. <laughs> that one is a train wreck, but I love it. Well, it was inspiration to me. It, it, it helped inspire the story that Kevin is in the midst of publishing right now. So, you know, I, if you thought you had the record before, even if Guinness didn't give it to you, you didn't, not on a page count basis. We'll talk. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, that was interesting. It's like, well, why not? Why are they going to say no? And I, I went ahead and filled out all the paperwork, filed for the Guinness Book World Record on that, and they came back and said it was not a tangible thing that they could count. It's like, well, so, crap. so you should tell the audience what that category was. Um, the most, the the, the yeah, the most pop culture references in a science fiction novel. Um, <laughs> which you know they they've got the category for video games. Um, Borderlands Two, I think, was the the winner of that one, but they didn't take one for novels. I'm like, well, crap. Okay, fine. Um, yeah, it's, it's still fun to shoot at. So I, I, oh yeah, absolutely. I aimed at your record. <laughs> well, I think what was it we had 177 or 207 something seven. I, I don't remember at this point. I have to go back and look at my notes. I'm just gonna say I put uh, 232 intentional references in the short story I sent to. <laughs> in a short story. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> you okay there, and Kevin? Did, and he did it well too. He did it well, so it's it's not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. Now I want to read that one. <laughs> so, um, do you have anything else before we let you go and, and get to your tomatoes and your hot peppers <sighs> and your figs? <laughs> um. Well, okay. For for any of those. I'm going to kill a dog here in a minute. For anybody out there wanting to get out there and, and learn you know, how to go about being an author and all that, ask questions. Jump on there and ask authors. Join groups. You know, Don't be afraid to ask a question. You know, network. You know, that's, that's absolutely true. I've been astounded um, coming from the academic community where helping others takes money directly out of your pocket. I was sort of expecting some of that coming into the writing community, but I discovered the real truth of it all here is that if we help each other, we get more readers, the pie grows, and we all make more money in the end. So everybody's been really helpful to me, and so I've tried to pass that on when I have other writers working with me. And I I don't know when this is going to go out, but um, on the 30th, I will be doing a live TDB Pirate Radio podcast with Greg Johnson and a group of the authors from Starflight tell us from the Starport Lounge. So we'll get some inside skinny on the Starflight universe from the creator himself. Very cool. Well, Hillbilly, awesome. thanks thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate the time. My storms are starting to kick back up out here, and I don't want to tempt fate anymore. So we greatly appreciate you coming on the show, brother. It's been a treat to talk to you, and absolutely cannot wait to catch up with you at the next con. 
I mean, hey, I appreciate y'all having me on. And, man, cons coming back is an amazing thing. Yes, Let's sir. do this. Yes, sir, I, it I'll is. see you at the end of the month, where either at Dragon Con or on the way home. All right. All that's going to bring us down to halftime, which is where we start to give a little bit more love to our presenting sponsor. That would, of course, be Chris Kennedy Publishing. We say it at the top of the show, and we'll say it again here. Doesn't matter what you're into, man. If it's mill science fiction, space opera, urban fantasy, they've got it all over at Chris Kennedy Publishing. Why? I'm going to nail it this time you watch. It's because they are message-free sci-fi with a slice of fantasy. Bah! Rock and roll, baby. Rock and roll. Right. To learn more about him, chriskennedypublishing.com. That is where you can go to learn more about the authors, the books, the universes, the series, pretty much everything. Secrets of the universe. It's right there. chriskennedypublishing.com. Rob, looks like we got Space Marines out for our new release this week. What's that all about? We got a a novel by P.A. Pyatt's uh, Cherry Drop. This is the first book in Paul's Abner Fortis uh, IMCS IFMC series with books two and three scheduled to arrive in the next couple of months. Uh, Abner Fortis joined the International Space Marine Corps for two reasons, to escape a life of drudgery building biodomes for his father's company, and to pay off several billion credits in student loans, which the ISMC promised to do. Every space marine starts out as a cherry, though, and Abner is no different. When he makes his first combat drop, he's a know-nothing second lieutenant added to the mission roster as an afterthought. The Space Marines are tasked to support the galactic resource conglomerates while they test a revolution in military tech. Precision-crafted soldiers. Because that sort of thing always works well. All the Space Marines have to do is kill bugs. Even when a tragic accident leaves Fortis in command, the mission is still an easy breather. But when the Space Marines discover proof of a long-buried betrayal, friends become enemies and their mission goes awry. Does Fortis have the fortitude, that's a Latin scholar joke, it takes to lead the space marines to survival in the face of overwhelming odds? Whatever else, he'll never forget his cherry drop. Nice. Kevin, what are the pebbles saying about this thing on the Amazon machine? Well, Steve says this is a very, very fun read with some unexpected twists and turnups until the very end. It is also a completely new, unexplored universe, but based on tried and true military traditions. Now, Mike says Cherry Drop is a great find. A fun read with a good pace and keeps one's interest. The character development is pretty accurate when you have a new LT and a solid experienced NCO team who is willing to teach you and lend a hand but not be asshats. That is a great word, asshat. <laughs> <clears throat> this is just a great book that you will love to read. Very enjoyable. Now, Brenda says an active book with enough suspense to keep your interest in believable characters. I really enjoyed it, and I'm waiting to see if there's more to this future story. Nice. Well, as we are wont to do at Chris Kennedy Publishing, we have ourselves a pre-release out this week. These are books that are out for sale directly through the publisher, but aren't yet out to the world. So this one will go on sale this upcoming Friday, which will be uh, after this post. So you guys should get that. But if you want it now, you want to get it directly through the publisher via Kobe file or a Moby file for your Kindle, Nook file, Kobo file, whatever. Uh, they've got it, everything for you, and it will drop this Friday. That would be the 13th book in the Guild Wars series from the 
Four Horsemen universe. That is called And Break It Not by Robert E. Hampson and Sandra L. Medlock. This is, like I said, 13th War of the Guild Wars. It's also the follow-up to Robert's book, Do No Harm. So 4HU fans, they continue to crank that stuff out for you guys, man. So go get you some, feed your eyeballs. Uh, Book deal of the week. One of my favorites, actually, out of the CKP stable. And that would be This Fallen World by Christopher Woods. That is the book that really started it all for that universe. Um, They got, from what I understand, a good four or five books coming out in that world by the end of this year. So if you're a fan of the Fallen World stuff, uh, get ready to buckle up, man, because you're you're about to have more than you can handle. If you've never heard of this series, now's the opportunity. Go grab This Fallen World from Christopher Woods on sale this week for 99 cents. And of course, that is on Amazon. So, all right. So let me uh, me just interject. Uh, Let me just say that you can you can look at an author's name and realize that they're good quality authors. And, you know, you look at Robert E. Hampson and Robert E. Howard and Robert E. Howell, and you know you're going to get some great stuff. (laughs) What's in a name? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of authors doing authorly things, before we take our pod mail questions from listeners, figured I'd give everybody kind of a a round robin stretch here where we can update everybody on projects, things that maybe you got working on coming down the pike in the immediate future. Kevin, I'll start with you you, just because I know Salvage is, man, you are busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest right now. Oh yeah, I just uh, I just finished um, going over all the an- the stories for the first anthology that's coming out in September. Okay, and that'll come out the same week that a novel that I wrote with uh, Casey Zavell comes out, Salvage Mother. Cool. And then I've got more than half the stories in for the next anthology, which is going to be in October, because you know we're doing back to back anthologies, right? Um, in Salvage, and so uh, that'll come out the same week that a book by uh, Matt Novotny comes out. Cool. So it's it's staying pretty busy. We've got a couple more that are turned in, so we're going from there. As far as myself, you know, I've got a lot of short stories. I owe Rob one. I owe Hillbilly one. Um, getting a lot of writing in. And then on, uh, you know, when I take that hat off and put another hat on, CKP International is going strong, and, and we've already gotten a few books back. Uh, you know, they've been translated, and we've sent them to some, some early readers, native-speaking early readers in German. And so we're going from there, and you know there'll be there'll be some more announcements on that, you know, in the near future. But uh, but that's happening, and, and the, the books are in German, and they've already been 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 read by early readers. So awesome. just thought I'd throw that out there for CKP International. Awesome, Rob. What you got going on, man? Yourself and over at New Mythology Press. Well, I've got a short story that I owe for oh, you know, William Joseph Roberts as well. I also owe me a short story. Because I've got two anthologies going as well that are going to come out in, it looks like, October and November. The Talons and Talismans anthology that I push for people to join, it look, the response has been amazing. So it's going to be two anthologies. Um, Kevin, uh, that doesn't give you a break because you're going to be in the first one. Uh, so hurry up, man. <laughs> uh, so I got that going on. Uh, immediately after I finish my stories, which should be by the end of this week, or close to it, I'll be starting a project next week while I'm at Armistice. Armistice is the Pentic Replacement event, which is a big SCA event held in Pennsylvania. I actually will be selling books there. I'll also be writing because I'll have essentially uh, all I need to do my normal work while I'm there. And I'll be starting a new novel in the Shearn universe. As uh, that gets ramped up, it's about time. It's been about a year since... um, None Call Me Mother came out, and uh, time for me to get some more stuff going on in that universe. So, lots going on there. Um, as with new mythology, there are so many projects in the work, it's hard to describe 
just how much is coming along. Somewhere in October, things are gonna the dominoes are gonna start to fall, and it's just going to be uh, crunch, 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 crunch down the line. We've got so much planned, so much getting ready to go. Um, gonna get a new Belizean Accords novel from John Osborne. Uh, I'm expecting a novel from Benjamin Tyler Smith in his Necrolopolis universe, which is a fantastic universe. Uh, I've got um, a number of other projects going on, including a super secret project they'll be announcing at DragonCon. Uh, can't wait to be able to, to put that on the table. Everything is almost ready to go for that, and it's an exciting time. So uh, I'm not quite as um, as busy as Kevin is right at the moment, I, I don't think, because I'm, I'm in that, you know, letting stirring a bunch of pots and letting everything sort of mellow into their proper form as time goes by. But there's a lot going on right now. And New Mythology Press is going to explode starting at the end of this year. And I'll be able to do Chris proud. I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Nice, nice. Well, I'm uh, I'm still hanging out in 4HU land. Chris and I continue to, to hammer out work on Three Steps to Oblivion, which is going to be um, one of the, the final books in the Guild Wars series and basically the, the final act in a, in a three-parter for my crew, the Swamp Eagle Security guys out of Jacksonville. Uh, right now we're standing strong at uh, probably somewhere between twenty five and 30,000 words, so we're, we're rolling along. We will probably be picking up a little bit more pace here uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks just because because Chris has had a ton of live stuff come up that's kept him on the road. Plus, he's back in the full swing of thing with cons. And uh, and I've had some live stuff come up that, uh, well, yeah, I guess we can go ahead and talk about that now. Uh, the Malone clan is moving back to Florida. So uh, really, really excited about that. That's a, a move that we've been looking to make for quite a long time. We just never could make the, the numbers add up from, uh, from an income standpoint. But uh, looks like the stars finally aligned and I get to go home. So uh, I have certainly enjoyed my 11 years here in the Tar Heel State. It's been a blast. Lord knows I love the climate up here. Um, you know, gave, gave me my family, met my wife up here. It's been a, a great 10 years with her. But uh, we're really looking forward to shifting gears and hitting the coast, man. We're going to be moving to Panama City, the Emerald Coast, where we just were for lasers and loggers. And uh, putting down there just in time for the kiddo to start high school. And and uh, really excited, man. Gonna gonna take him to his first Florida State football game at some point. I'm sure, if not this fall, we'll do that next fall, and just gonna be good times. So really excited about that. But back on Bookland, three steps to oblivion. It's well on its way, and we hope to have that cranked out here sometime in the next you know handful of weeks. Congratulations, Ian, on the move to where you want to be. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Like I said, it's uh it's one of, it's something I've wanted to do for quite a long time, but uh, you know it's. I just, it's, it, it's gotta be right. It's gotta be the right opportunity. And I've been unemployed. I have no desire to go that route. I'm just not going to be that guy who's like, screw it. I want to move. I'm going to quit my job, go down there and I'll find something and figure it out. I could do that when I was in my twenties. I'm not in my twenties. I'm not going to do that. So we had to wait for the right opportunity and it finally came around for us. So nice. Well, I, I just want you to know, I get home several times a year to Bonifay. Awesome. Um, me and my siblings, we, you know, we still have the old homestead, the father's house. And so, Uh, You know, I'll be 35, 40 miles away from you. So, you know, I'll give you a holler when I'm down that way. Oh, there will be barbecue, sir. Yeah, there there will be queue. The smoker will make the trip. And uh, and we'll we will definitely be hooking up some some shindigs, no no doubt about it. But all right, well that's pretty well what's happening in all of our worlds, guys, as writers. So with that established, let's go look and uh, see what the listeners had to ask about. You got mail. 
I don't even know if that last sentence made sense, but I'm pretty sure you guys get the uh, the general gist of what I'm talking about. This is not well, been my best. We're talking about mail. That's what it is. <laughs> we're talking about mail. All righty, let's get my uh, stuff pulled up here. Let's see here. Uh, all right, first question comes to us from Je- uh, Jenna. Jenna. Oh, like Jenna Fryer. Uh, hey guys, it's been a while since I've heard you guys rattle off the list of things that you are reading. I've got a beach trip coming up. Oh, wonder if she's going to Panama City. Uh, I need book suggestions, so hit me. What you got? Uh, you guys reading anything cool here lately? We got anything we can recommend to Miss Jenna other than all of the stuff that we've covered, which is spectacular, be that from William Joseph Roberts, Chris Kennedy Publishing, or otherwise? Well, I've been going back through the Raj Whitehall series by David Drake and S.M. Surly. Okay. Uh, fun uh, military sort of science fiction with a little bit, it kind of an oddball series in terms of how you classify it. But uh, it's good stuff. All right. And Kevin, outside of all of your anthology stuff, do you have time to read anything for fun? I don't, but uh, there's a book that I'm going to pick back up again because I, I, I try to read it every two or three years. Uh, one of my favorites of all time. And that's a, it's an omnibus. It's a trilogy, The Deed of Paxanarian by Elizabeth Moon. Um, it's fantasy, and it is just incredible. And, and when I was younger, that thing was on par with the Dragonlance books. I mean, it was just, you know. It's, it's really good. good. Yeah, it is really good. Elizabeth Moon does a great job. And, and she writes fantasy and she writes sci-fi, so I kind of like that. You know, she does both. But that's her fantasy stuff. So The Deed of Paxanarian is really one you want to pick up. And, and if you haven't listened to that, you might want to take a gander of that and take a listen to that, too. And so. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Book recommendations. Uh, if you like the mill sci-fi stuff, but, I mean, with some really, really cool characters, uh, check out a series called The Lost Fleet from Jack Campbell. Uh, it's about a character named Blackjack Geary. It tackles the whole... What does it mean to be, you know, basically christened a legend and an icon and then have to live up to that expectation when everybody thought you were dead? So uh, that's basically the, the gist of it. You've got a, this guy who's, a, you know, just a, a, I think he's a lieutenant and goes down with the ship or so he thinks, but he ends up getting stuck in a stasis pod, is gone for a century, gets, you know, turned into a hero and a legend and an icon among his people for the guy that held out and let everybody escape and went down with his ship. And then they find his pod. And he wakes up to find all of this stuff. And now they expect him to solve all their problems. And he's like, listen, I'm just a guy who tried to do the right thing. So uh, really, really good story. Good series of books there. Um, yeah, re- recommend you check that out. The Lost Fleet. All right. Next question comes to us from Chris. Not Kennedy, I don't believe. Yo, fellas, I've been following the college football name, image and likeness saga. And I've got to say. I'm worried. It's not that I have a problem with players making money. I don't. It's just that I believe this will widen the gap between the haves and the have-nots of the game, and I don't think that's good for anyone except for the four or five same old teams that we see at the top of the polls each year. What are you guys' thoughts about name, image, and likeness? Um, I'm kind of with you on that, Chris. Uh, I, I, I just don't like it. I mean, I, I certainly don't have a problem with players making money. I, I think in a perfect world scenario – if you're talking about pro sports, then absolutely, they should have every opportunity to do that. But, I mean, listen, we're, we're already seeing the ramifications of this in that the freshman quarterback at Alabama who hasn't even played a snap yet is probably going to be worth a million dollars by the time they start the season just because of endorsements because he goes to Alabama. You can't recruit against that if you're Auburn or if you're Florida State <clears throat> or God help you if you're the freaking Duke Blue Devils or Wake Forest. It just You can't. So, no, I, I very much share your concern. Uh, we're going to be bringing Terry Maggard on to talk books and writing uh, on our next episode 
Terry is also an avid college football fan, graduate of the University of Florida. God, God help him. And uh, he is going to stick around and talk some college football. So we're actually going to be tackling this and, uh, and a lot of other stuff college football related on our next episode. So be sure you check that out. Uh, Kevin, I think I hear you there, man. You got a thought I on this? Am, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm the opposite of you on this. Listen, make what you can make when you can make it any way you can legally make it by God. Okay? And here's the reason for that. They're talking about football, and that's mainly what people are talking about, the football players or maybe a few basketball or whatever. Do you know the college athlete right now that stands to make the most money? Who's that? She's in gymnastics. And it's because of her social media platforms, her Instagram and all her followers on TikTok. Yeah. Before, even though she had millions and millions and millions of followers, she couldn't monetize it. She couldn't make money off the ads. She couldn't get sponsors. Right. Now she can. No, I, I agree all of that. But you don't, that's, again, that's in a perfect world scenario whereby you're talking about uh, the business of sports and athlete See. brands. And I get all of that. But in the college environment, this can't stand as long as you have boosters with deep pockets. I, and I go, I go back to Alabama and Auburn, man. If you're, if you're freaking War Eagle, you don't have a prayer. If there's a five-star quarterback coming out of Nowheresville, Alabama, he's going to Tuscaloosa because when he steps in front of two guys, two boosters, the booster from Auburn is going to say, come to Auburn, we'll pay you $250,000 to endorse our lawn service. And the guy from Tuscaloosa is going to say, I'll pay you a million to endorse my car dealership. Where do you think that kid's going to go? I know, but at the same time, you had the NCAA stopping gymnastics players from earning money on their TikTok. Well, everybody just needs to forget about the NCAA. They're worthless. If you if you suck at your job worse than Congress, you're horrible. And that's the NCAA in my book. Rob, what you got? Well, I think you're you're forgetting some of the second and third level effects that that are going to be down the road here. First of all, I'm I'm much more on, on uh, Kevin's side of this. Um, those players, let's let's talk football again. Those players deserve to make money where the universities have always made money on their backs. It's been an awful setup for players, especially given the health problems associated. I love sure. football. I love watching football. But the truth is, is, if you play collegiate football, you are hurting your chances to live a long and productive life. That's the truth of it. And I appreciate those kids that do it. And if they have a chance to make money, they should darn well do it. Right. But I think there's two things that are going to happen off of this that are going to alleviate your concerns somewhat. Concern number one, or uh, thing number one, I think a lot of the mid-range players are going to stay in college where they would have applied for, uh, gone, gone for the NFL draft. Um, the reason being is that a lot of these kids, if they know they're not going to be a first-round draft choice, they, if they stay a year and can get an extra year of training uh, and skills, they might go in the first round, and that makes a huge difference on the rookie contract. And yet at the same time, if they're good enough that they might be on that borderline, they can get those name and image uh, sales that will um, maybe not as much as a normal, you know, as a sixth round or seventh round rookie contract or fifth round rookie contract might get them, but enough so that the difference between that and a chance at a sec- even a second or third round rookie contract, they're going to want to stay. And that's where the agents are going to help um, weed through that. I think the other thing that's going to happen is, is we are seeing the death knell of the NCAA, and, and I'm with you. I, I, will, I will laugh on their corpse. Uh, that, that institution is um, awful. And it's just money grubbing of rich people 
taking out of kids. And I'm not necessarily the most uh, egalitarian dude in the world, but I have all the respect for what those kids do and how much work they put in. And that money gets taken by administrators and by universities that honestly, that whole academic system is, is awful at the moment. And that's another reason that's keeping it up. So I think one of the things that's going to happen is whether or not the NFL likes it or not, they're going, there's going to be a minor league that comes out that's effective. Uh, the XFL would have made it had it not been for the, uh, for COVID because I was there watching teams put out good quality football and make money at it. Not every team, but enough. Right. And especially because their model was designed with that sort of flex and that sort of training involved. Uh, there's going to be a minor league that comes out of it because you're absolutely right. There's going to be some short term, um, you know, people at, uh, you know, Tuscaloosa and they're going to throw boatloads of money at some of these kids. Sure. And I'm, Again, I'm for it, but I think in the long term, what that's going to mean is the NCAA football is going to end up going much more back to the amateur status of it used to be because the really top flight ones, they don't want to go to college. They want to go into a, a developmental league. And right. so I think that's what's going to happen. Well, they're going to go. Yeah, I mean, they're going to go to wherever's going to get them to the league faster. I do want to go back to your point, though, about players getting paid. And I want to be really, really clear on this. I wholly agree with you. And the reason why I'm not a big fan of name, image and likeness beyond, you know, the the, the recruiting wild, wild west that we're seeing here now is because it's just not fair. You know, I mean, if you're a walk on guard, you have no shot. Nobody gives a crap about how many Instagram followers you are. I mean, I guess if you're that one person like the gymnast Kevin talked about, that you're just that innovative and that dynamic on social, people want to follow you, then great. But the average kid is not going to be able to do that. So, you know, it still sucks for him that he's putting in the same hours and the same workload every day in the weight room and on the practice field as the franchise quarterback who's now a millionaire, even though he's never played it down. I have a problem with that. I would much rather say, how about we cut coaches' salaries down from 8 and $9 million a year looking at you, Nick Saban, Jim Harbaugh, Urban Meyer, before you faked another heart attack and bowed out of football again. Um, you know, let's cut those down and let's set a wage that goes to every single player on the team. And that way, not only can you compensate football players, but you can compensate softball players, golfers, tennis players, and every other kid who works their way forfeits the time in college that they could have working a part-time job playing sports. They get a cut of that too. NIL, that doesn't exist. Yeah, I, I have a solution for, for what exactly what you're speaking of. And I, and I think they need to institute it. And we'll just use UGA for example. All the official UGA jerseys that are sold, UGA gets a cut of it, yada, yada, yada. If there's 85 kids on the team, the jersey sales get split 85 ways, and even the four-string punter gets his cut just as much as the quarterback because those are official university sales. See what I mean? So if everybody's buying all the quarterback jerseys, cool. That third-string long snapper, he's getting a cut of that. And that should be transparent those kind of items you know yep. team items yep see see i don't have a problem with with your point kevin or your suggestion kevin uh, i guess i'm not as worried about it as as you are ian and mostly because look if i had ever played football i'm an offensive lineman uh, i know it. Uh, i you know have all the skills of a you know somebody who can get in the way of somebody bigger and meaner and faster than i am so I would never expect to get a quarterback's salary. I understand there, the idea that there is um, some egalitarian way things work 
Look, Dak Prescott got a $40 million contract, and he was worth it in today's environment of the NFL. And, you know, the Zach Martin, who is a Hall of Fame player, and question mark as to whether Dak will be a Hall of Fame player or not. But Zach Martin is right now already Hall of Fame or close to it. He's never going to get anywhere close to that same kind of money. Right. That disparity will always exist in football. It's just the way it is. All righty. Well, we're going to go ahead and move on to our next question because we are definitely ticking off close to the hour. Uh, this one comes to us from Aslan. Uh, been great to see so many athletes bringing gold home back to the old U.S. of A. and the Tokyo Olympics. How about you guys? Are you watching the Olympics? And if so, what are your favorite events? Uh, Rob, you strike me as an Olympics guy, man. Have you been paying attention to this? I have not. I'm, I don't mind saying I don't care about the Olympics. It's not that I don't say go USA. I root for them. But uh, I might watch hockey. That that could be a fun one. That's obviously not happening in the summers. But I, I just don't I, – I never care about swimming or badminton or any of that stuff any other time of the year. So I don't care about it now. But what do you so think? So I, I would be okay. absolutely all over it. But I cut the cut the cable and – don't really have any regrets to it. I've got uh, several subscription channels that serve most of my needs, like, for example, MLB, uh, you know, the MLB uh, watch every game. And, and if I can get it next year, I'll get the NFL Sunday ticket and, you know, something stuff along those lines. The problem is, is that every way they're forcing you to watch it solely on NBC. And I, I just, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to spend 80 bucks to watch it anymore. My life is too full, too busy. But I will say this. Some of my fondest memories are watching Olympics. And, and in the sports that you just talked about, I mean, swimming, it's, it's fun to watch people competing at the top level in any sport, honestly, to me. Sure. Uh, even if I don't know a lot about it. I would be all over it, but my life has changed and my TV watching has changed. So not this year. Fair enough. Kevin, how about you, man? You paying attention to the Tokyo Olympics? Uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, so, you know, TV in my office doesn't get turned on very often. I, you know, I listen to some Braves games and that kind of thing on the radio, but not really, not really paying attention. I mean, I, I, I guess I'm keeping up with the news. I appreciate the fact that an Army first lieutenant, um, she won gold in skeet shooting. Nice. So, you know, I, I like that because, you know, the, Army's, the U.S. Army marksmanship team is always top-notch, world-class world athletes doing that, so... Nice. Um, you know, just keeping up with a little bit of the news, but I'm not necessarily watching it now. All right, last question comes from Rich. Uh, out with it, uh, out with it, Ian. How did your redneck apple beer ribs turn out? That is all. <laughs> uh, they were spectacular. Best ribs I've ever made in my life. Uh, they were absolutely phenomenal. Uh, for those who missed the last episode, I, I joked that uh, Bushlight Apple, which they've been advertising on NASCAR races for like the last year, finally made its way to North Carolina. It's a limited thing. And just for grins and giggles, I was like, I'm going to try that. Their marketing campaign when they rolled this out was some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen. And I will try it just because it's it was hilarious. Um, they spoofed an Apple keynote address with their announcement of Bushlight Apple with the Bush guy playing the part of Steve Jobs in a blazer with the sleeves ripped off and a flannel shirt. It's branding at its finest, but I digress. Uh, we finally got some here in, in my local grocery store. I got it. Uh, I smoked my ribs, basic rub, salt, pepper, uh, onion powder, garlic powder. was about it. Smoked them for about two hours, and then I put them in a pan, filled it up with a can of the Bushlight Apple beer, 
uh, covered it in tinfoil, smoked it for another two hours, covered, and then drained it all off, slathered it down with the sauce, cooked it uncovered for another hour just to caramelize everything on the meat. They were fall off the bone fantastic. They had a wonderful flavor. It was exactly what I wanted. I've always struggled to try and get the smoky profile that I want on the meat versus the nice tender fall off the bone texture i seemingly can always get one or the other but not both this was the key and uh, believe it or not you could taste the the apple notes from the beer in the meat on top of the sauce by the time it came out so uh all all jokes aside rich i kid you not these and my wife agreed she's like those are the best ribs you've ever smoked so uh i don't know how long that beer is going to be on sale i might end up having to sub that out for maybe like a a Bold Rock Cider or a Strongbow or something along those lines to, to get that same kind of flavor. But it was great, man. Can you create that with an apple cider mixed with a beer in the pan? Possibly. Yeah, possibly. Um, you know, I, I would never go so far as to use something like an Angry Orchard because that's pretty well just apple-flavored sugar water. It's entirely too sweet. But, um, you know, a Bold Rock is a much... Uh, that for those who aren't in, in Virginia, North Carolina area, I don't know if they have that far down South, but anyway, uh, it's just, it's a really good cider. This little on the drier side, but it's still going to give you that apple flavor. I would probably do that, but they were great, man. So, uh, props to my buddy, chef Chris down in Panama city, who came out to lasers and loggers. He and I were talking barbecue and smoked meat. And he's like, this is the way you do it, man. Two, two, one, smoke them two hours uncovered. Cover them, put some liquid in there, smoke them or cook them for another two hours. You do it in an oven and then cook uncovered for an hour with your sauce and serve them out. And my man was spot on. He knows what he's talking about because they were fantastic, fantastic ribs. So, all righty, on that, I think we're going to get ready to wrap this puppy up with a little thing we call white flag. White flag. White flag is the segment where we just kind of tell listeners what's coming up on our radar in the in the coming weeks and months. So, Kevin, I'll throw it to you the first time around, man. What's on your docket other than editing anthologies and writing books? Uh, well, I got a class reunion coming up October 2nd, and shortly after that, be at Factory Con with Chris Kennedy and the gang. I don't think that I'll be at Dragon Con this year. It's, it's, it's a big crowd, and it's a little rough on my leg getting up and down those hills. So I don't know that I'll be at Dragon Con this year, but... But those are the next two things I've got coming up as far as, you know, leaving the house and leaving my office and working on things. Sure. Rob, how about you, man? What's going on? I got a heck of an August, early September planned. I've got, uh, I leave tomorrow, actually, for Pennsylvania. I'll be in Pennsylvania up until the 10th or so. I get back uh, two weeks from tonight, as a matter of fact. And I'll be, like say, at Armistice. That's the SCA slash... Um, uh, all sorts of LARPing groups. Pretty much if you, if you do any kind of medieval reenactment, every group is, it's a really big tent version this year because it's not SCA, it's not an SCA event this year. So it's going to be a lot of new people for me to show uh, new mythology and my own fantasy novels. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, to that. Um, and then I will be coming back uh, on the 22nd, 21st or so uh, is playing a Comic-Con here in Kansas City, and I'll be doing that, hopefully, with Todd Fonestock as my neighbor. Todd Fonestock's a writer I'm working with right now. Uh, he's really an amazing writer. I'm looking forward to doing more with him down the road. Uh, so that's Planet Comic-Con, which is one of the big uh, regional cons. It was at 75000 a couple of years ago. We'll see what the, the number is this year. But again, I'll be selling there and looking forward to meeting people and, and doing that sort of thing. And then, of course, 
once that's done, you know, a week later, I'm headed off to Atlanta to be the Dragon Con. And, uh, you know, so I'll be doing a whole bunch of stuff at Dragon Con. Damn. I've been talking about this uh, super secret project announcement that we'll be doing there. I want to give props to Siska Small, who is uh, making sure that, that we get a chance to say it in the meet and greet, uh, the fantasy meet and greet at the start of it all. And I've got several pa- uh, panels I'll be on. going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to it. It's my first one as an attending pro. So it's really exciting. Nice. Eastbound and down. Load them up and truck them. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> Rob Howell, the road warrior. So, all righty. Well, as for me, as mentioned, I have got the three steps to oblivion that I'm working on, as well as a couple of other uh, little side projects. And then, you know, a move to Florida that I've got to do, like, in nine days. So, little, <laughs> a little busy on that front. But uh, looking forward to all of the above. Also looking forward to the return of football. Uh, NFL minicamps are pretty much in full swing. College is going to be checking in here shortly. Also got this little thing brewing over in the SEC that it looks like uh, Texas and Oklahoma could be joining. That's nothing short of frightening. Be keeping an eye on that. Thanks to Rob Howell. Thanks to Kevin Steverson for joining me on the show as always. And we appreciate William Joseph Roberts coming on board. Our boy Hillbilly. we got to have him back sometime, most definitely. Thanks to you, the listeners. If you like this show, you know we say it every time. Please leave us five stars wherever it is you listen. It helps the folks to show up from the rankings, help people find us, and bring more people to this thing we like to call the nexus of geekery and guy world. Presented by Chris Kennedy Publishing. Message-free sci-fi with a slice of fantasy. Booyah! Bonus drop. You guys have a great night. We'll talk to you next time on the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. See ya!